Are you looking to improve employee engagement and retention? Do you struggle with decisions on who to hire or who to promote? I have an amazing opportunity for a forward-thinking, purpose-led, people-first organisation to work with me on the first pilot Happier at Work programme for corporates. The programme is entirely science-backed and you will have tangible outcomes in relation to employee engagement, retention, performance and productivity. The programme is aimed at people leaders with responsibility for hiring and promotion decisions. If this sounds like you, please get in touch at ifa at happieratwork.ie. That's A-O-I-F-E at happieratwork.ie. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. ...with efficiency and productivity. And I love to think about how can you take things and make them scalable, like media, like Mm. software. These are things that are infinitely scalable. How can you take us parts of people and what they know how to do and make that scalable? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted to have you here tuning in today. My guest today is Jennifer Smith. And if Jennifer Smith is right, the way anyone shares how-to knowledge is about to change forever. A former VC and McKinsey consultant turned accidental CEO, she interviewed more than 1,200 business leaders on a quest to understand everything there is to know about processes, best practices and productivity. Now with her startup, Scribe, she's empowering people to own their processes by building the world's first operating system for know-how. I know you are going to thoroughly enjoy this conversation with Jennifer. We start by talking a little bit about her company Company. It sounds hugely interesting. I've already downloaded it onto my laptop and I'm starting to give it a go already. We move on to talk about things like productivity and the importance of productivity and share some productivity tips as well. It's a really, really insightful discussion. And I do hope you get involved in the conversation across on social media, happieratwork.ie on Instagram, Aoife O'Brien on LinkedIn, or feel free to connect with me through the website where you'll find links to all of my social channels there. That's happieratwork.ie. Stay tuned till the end and I will do a wrap up of some of the key points that we discussed on today's podcast episode. Jennifer, welcome to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted to have you as my guest today and I'm so excited for what this conversation is going to hold. Uh, Lots and lots of topics to discuss, you know, and a huge area of interest to me. Do you want to introduce yourself to listeners, tell them a little bit of a flavor of what you do and how you got into doing what you're doing? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, So I'm Jennifer Smith. I'm the founder and CEO of Scribe. That's scribehow.com. We are a productivity uh, SaaS company based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but we've got teammates around the world now. I originally started my career as a management consultant at McKinsey, which functionally meant I spent most of my time uh, nine to five in operations centers, um, trying to figure out how to make them more productive. If you've ever done any kind of like optimization, organization type work as a consultant in an op center, you know, the name of the game is you go in and you try to figure out who's the best agent in this op center. And you go and sit next to them and you befriend them and you say, hey, 
what, what are you doing differently? Why, why are you performing better than everyone else? And they would pull out a really thick binder and thunk it down on the desk. I'm dating myself. This is back when people use binders, uh, like 15 <laughs> years ago. And, hey, and they go, I mean, oh. that made total sense to me when you said that. I'm like, <laughs> what that. do people Thank use you. now? Google Docs and Slack. <laughs> like <laughs> Back in the day when we printed things out. Yeah. And they would go, when, when we printed things out single side, I remember those days. And then they brought in double side and no color printing, only black and white. And yeah. I remember how much faster it came out. I, I'm like from yes. the inkjet days, you know, where it would take like three minutes to get a single. Yeah. Or, or even like laser dot. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now you're going back far. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Dial up internet. We could, we could go down nostalgia lane. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, but, but agents would say, hey, here's, here's what I was trained to do, right? It mm. took a while for me to like memorize what's in this manual. Usually you have like two, three weeks, just kind of people trying to train you on this stuff. Like, but you know what? I found 30 shortcuts instead. And here's what I do differently. Oh, and my wow. team would write that down in PowerPoint. And we'd sell that back to our clients for a whole bunch of money. I always thought at the time, like, gosh, if that person had just had a platform, a way to share what they knew how to do, they could have had a really big impact on that op center, right? They, did, they mm-hmm. didn't need me and my Lenovo ThinkPad writing it down for them. And especially in a lot of these op centers, you know, we, we would see turnover of almost 100% in a given yeah. year. Um, yeah, and yeah. so you're talking about like pretty high training costs, people who are clearly not very engaged in their jobs and can understand why they're like alt tabbing between 10 different screens all day long, just trying to remember what they're supposed to be doing and getting through it quickly. And you've got people who have figured out better ways of doing things, but that's not getting shared across anyone else. And so there's yeah. no kind of innovation happening. And I always thought like, God, that feels like a pretty obvious problem. Like someone should solve that someday. Right? Yes. And uh, I just kind of went on my merry way. I went to our business school, continued consulting for a bit, eventually found my way, you know, living in the Bay Area. I got, got seduced by technology and startups. So I went over to the venture capital side. Um, uh, and spent a lot of my time talking to, to buyers of enterprise software in that role. I got really curious, why do people buy software? What problems are they trying to solve? What problems still exist that software hasn't solved yet that it should? And I kept hearing the same theme over and over again. Just people would say, you know, gosh, I have all of these like fancy tools. We can talk about automation and all these things, but but like at the core of the day, my people are showing up to work nine to five and their fingers on keyboard and they're creating value for my company. And that's great. I have an entire HR department that thinks about like how to optimize that talent and what they're doing. But what about the things they know how to do? Like that just, that walks out the door every day mm. at 5 p.m. And I got to hope it comes back. And I try to capture it from those people, but that's not a fun ask if I tell someone like, hey, take some time away from your job and please write down what you know how to do. Right? Mm. Even though functionally people end up spending a lot of their time sharing that. Usually not yeah. even something as scalable as writing, right? It, Usually it, it's like... It, it, what, what's springing up for me is it seems like you're kind of writing yourself out of a job then. So if you write about how you do your job, then no, I don't mean that they don't need that person anymore, but it, and not that it makes the job obsolete, but it could be that that gets passed on to someone else and quite easily. And are you just disposable to the organization then? You know, I, I get that concern sometimes from folks, mm. but then we go and talk to users. So so spoiler alert, our, our software makes it really easy to capture <laughs> and share what you know how to do. And I can talk yeah. more in a second about, about what the, how that works. Um, but, you know, we, we, we get that concern when we tell people what we do. And then I talk to my users and none of them ever raise that as a concern. Yeah, you know yeah, what they say to me? In, yeah. You know what they say to me instead? They're like, gosh, 
I constantly get asked how to do this thing. <laughs> I'm spending a lot of my time on Zoom or someone's tap, if we're sitting in person, tapping my yeah. shoulder. Hey, quickly, can you just show me how? Or I'm writing out emails, trying to explain yeah. things to people. These are folks and companies who are helpful people and they're knowledgeable people. Oftentimes they're, you know, so your most tenured expert employees and, and they want to be helping others and how yeah. to do something, right? Um, but it's it's a serious tax on their time. And that's a problem for them, obviously, but it's, it's a really big problem when you multiply it across all the people in your company. Yes, um, yeah. And, and the so amount of time it that it like, takes. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And now you've got two people on both sides who are doing something that's very unscalable, which is this yeah. constant interrupter of it. Hey, wait, can you show me? How do I, can you just, sorry, one second, quickly. Can you explain to me how to do this? Yes. Right? How many of us hear that? I'm so sure so many people listening today can relate to that because I certainly can relate to that. And and I, I I suppose I never thought it was a problem. It's a way of building relationships. But mm-hmm. with the amount of time that it takes, especially as you gain expertise in a specific area, the more and more questions that, that come your way is, is pretty astounding. I love that you said that you never thought it was a problem because I, I think that's exactly it. It was like a problem hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Because we just accepted this was the cost of doing business, of working. Oh, well, of course, I'm not going to know how to do everything. Like, of course, I'm going to have to ask people or people are going to have to ask me all the time. And I'm going to repeat myself a lot. Right. That's just sort of the way it is. And, and when we were all in person together, that usually was someone like tapping you on the shoulder, popping their head over the cubicle. And it's like also kind of a social visit. And so you mm. say, oh, I don't, I don't really mind that, you know, I just got interrupted by what I'm doing. There's a huge cognitive cost to that, by yes. the way, right? Yeah, you yeah. Really say, oh, that, that's just as the way it is. And, and then we went remote, you know, with, with COVID. And I think it just became even more apparent to people, yeah. which is instead of that friendly head popping up right next to you, it's like, it's that notification on Slack. It's that additional email. It's that one more Zoom meeting, right? Mm, And, you know, you look at estimates of what this takes. Um, I I used to work at McKinsey for seven years. So I I look at their research and and their research suggests that people spend one in five, um, 20% of their time, one in five days of a work week, just trying to find answers on how to do something or explain to someone how to do something. So those fun little small interruptions add up to something that's really, really big. And yeah. you're totally right. Most people don't even think that it's a problem until you kind of point it out. And then they're like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, you're, you're kind of right. That does happen a lot. So a, a fun exercise for everyone, just kind of like, you know, tomorrow when you're at work, think about how many times you get interrupted by someone asking you how to do something or you yourself trying to figure it out. I think that's a great exercise and really practical as well for people to just have a think or, or throughout the day, just count, you know, like, uh, if you're in a German beer garden and you're adding like the, the little dashes to your your uh, <laughs> beer mat so you know how many beers you've had, so you know how much to pay at the end. So if you're if you're doing dashes throughout the day to say, well, how many times have I been asked about, you know, and you might think about what is it that you are being asked about as well. So um, it's so, yeah, it's so interesting. And I, I never knew it was a problem. And so I suppose the, the first thing that I'm kind of thinking is, how how would that differ to something like sharing information on the likes of Slack or um, instructional videos or having a Google Doc with SOPs, like standard operating procedures and things like that? How Talk to me about how it's slightly different to that. 
Yeah. So there's two kinds. I like you kind of could paint a spectrum, right? I'm going to try not to get too philosophical, but I, I think about this a lot in the world of software. <laughs> you could sort of paint a spectrum, right? Of like how ephemeral is the is the communication? Um, is it something that's very referenceable and exists over time? That's something like your wiki or your Google Doc. Um, on the other hand, and those tend to be take longer to produce, right? Okay, like someone yeah. has to sit down. It's quite manual. You really, if you're writing an SOP, you are literally copy pasting screenshots, you're writing it out. Yeah. It's probably taking you anywhere from 20 minutes to two days, <laughs> depending mm. on on how detailed <laughs> it is. Right? Yeah. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have things that are pretty low friction, really easy to do. They don't take a lot of time. Um, and that would be like sending someone a Slack, right? Or hitting a quick Zoom, you know, just taking a really quick Zoom meeting. They've those kinds of tools have done a really great job of reducing the friction. It's so much easier to do. You just press a button and boom, here you are. You type a sentence and boom, it's sent to someone. But those are not referenceable communications, Mm -hmm. right? If I Mm -hmm. ask you how to do something in Slack or you give me some kind of information, like it's probably gone forever. (laughs) I get it. I get it that one time and then that's it. It's, It's buried in our guide. So with Scribe, we thought about how do we make something that is really low friction and easy, but endures over time? And when it comes to documentation, which is basically, you know, capturing how to do something, sometimes I feel like documentation is a four-letter word for people because they think about that, you know, three-hour experience of manually writing out something they <laughs> yes. already have figured out how to do. It's like yeah. not even fun problem solving, right? Yeah. Um, but, but it actually can be quite important. And, and we said, well, what if we could make documentation automatic? What if we could mm. watch you do the thing you already know how to do and automatically write out step-by-step written instructions with screenshots. Technology makes that possible today. Like what if we could make documentation as digital exhaust? It's just the byproduct of you doing what you already know how to do. And so that's what we've created with Scrub. I mean, very simply, it's just just so folks know, it's um, desktop application, browser extension, doesn't matter. You, You click the record button, you do some process. So like you're a salesperson, you're, you're an HR and you've got a, um, add a, a new, onboard a new employee into Workday or something, mm-hmm. right? Or wherever your, your HMS is. Uh, you click record and you just onboard that new employee. When you're done, you click stop record. And Scribe will auto-generate step-by-step written instructions with screenshots on how to onboard a new employee into the HMS system. Uh, so oh, yeah. you don't have to do any additional work. And we said, well, <laughs> what, what kind of like cool unlock would that be in the world if now the best of what everyone knows how to do is automatically available to everyone else. And it didn't take any additional time for that expert to share what they knew how to do. What if you made sort of their special know-how around best practices or even just how to use a new tool that you're rolling out at your company or a process that has changed? What if you made that immediately available to everyone else in a way that didn't take any time away from that expert's job? What if you could scale the best of what everyone knows how to do to everyone else? Mm. Um, So we get really excited about what that means as an unlock. First, for that person, they're saving that one day a week, which is a non-trivial amount of time. But then for that organization too, because... Oh my gosh! Now, if you go back to my, you know, op centers back when I was, uh, you know, in my twenties as a consultant, uh, like now you don't need a, a Jennifer with a, a ThinkPad running around and capturing what everyone's saying. Like now, it's just automatically available. What, what mm. could you do with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this opens up a whole host of questions for me, and like, frankly, I'm sold. And I'm like this. This podcast episode is not sponsored by Scribe, by the way. 
<laughs> but I'm sold already. I'm like, this sounds incredible. Um, one of the questions that, that I have, and, and this is kind of maybe going off topic slightly, but like if you're saying it's the best people and it's best practice, how do you determine? Or I suppose, you know, are people putting their hands up and saying, I know the best way to do this or I know the fastest way to do this or I'm the expert in this area or um, you know, how do you determine who is the right person to actually record the, the process? Yeah, that's a really great question. Because if you, if you think about even just the analog of how this happens today in a company, right? Like, hey, I, I'm new or, to a company or or I've been here for five years and I just got to do something and I'm not quite sure how to do it. One of the, the you, maybe like you go to a wiki or something to try to find the info. Odds that you find it are pretty low because, mm. you know, most of the time processes are not documented, right? So then it really becomes like, who do I ask? Do I ask someone? Do I try to figure it on my own? And, and if I'm going to ask someone who, like who becomes a really important question. Yeah. And, and you'll find that oftentimes there are these like hubs of knowledge of people within the company and everyone knows to go to that person for this kind of question. Yeah. But, but often, you know, also people will just ask like, who's the person sitting next to them? Or who is the person who is friendliest or is like mm. fastest to respond to Slack, right? So and true. So, yeah, yeah. You almost have like this gray market of information, which um, is <laughs> I love that description. Ine- it's pretty inefficient. <laughs> it could right? be good information. It could be bad information. Uh, you don't really know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and like sometimes it's no information because you okay, can figure. Yeah. You know, you ask someone and they're like, "Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know who you ask for that." And you sort of throw your hands uh, up, and and that is what it is. Um, so it's a really hard problem to know. You know, where where do you go? Who do you go to? Um, and we think about solving that in a bit more of a crowdsourced way. Frankly, we've we've got some customers who will say like, "No, I know." who my people are, who know yeah. how to do things. And like, yeah, they are yeah, the ones yeah. I'm going to ask to create Scribe. There, there's always like a few of those people in the in a company. It's always so interesting when I talk to folks, they're like, we're going to give this to Cheryl. <laughs> like we know <laughs> Cheryl's the one who secretly runs this company. Yes, <laughs> we need to make sure that we it. capture what she knows how to do. Yeah. Um, but when you're talking about much bigger companies, like it's hard to identify who those people are. And so what you often see is the best content rises to the top. Hmm. And we think a lot about how do we design feedback loops and yeah. mechanisms for that, right? So I was going to say, can you have like upvotes and things like that on? Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and like that, that feedback can go to a number of different people, and they can use that information in different ways to, yeah. to you know, figure out what what best practices are. Yeah, and is it just for processes, or can you use it for like knowledge gathering efforts as well, or, or how does that work? We're really focused on procedural know-how. So okay, there's yeah. all kinds of know-how that's really important to capture, yeah. right, mm. in, in a company. And I would argue companies think a lot already about, um, you know, the the like sort of what of your job. Like, okay, yeah. you're, you're a salesperson. Great. We're going to teach you like what our product is. We're going to mm. teach you, how, you know, how to run an effective sales conversation and do discovery, yeah. that sort of thing. Where we often see training, kind of formal training falls short is then you're like butt in seat. And maybe it's your first week, maybe it's your first year, maybe it's your 10th year. And you got to like generate that report in Salesforce yeah. or something, you know, and you do that like once a quarter and I don't know, maybe your interface changes, you know, and you're just like, I just got to do this thing and no one has formally trained you on it. So you're yeah, either like yeah. Googling, trying to find it, or again, you're asking the person sitting next to you. Yeah. So there's all this like informal how that we just assume people will learn on the job by asking each other in this like informal peer-to-peer learning. And peer-to-peer learning is great. Don't get me wrong. 
but you want to save peer-to-peer learning for things that truly require like in-person coaching, right? Yeah. That, that how do you the, run a great in, The actual human interaction. Yeah. And I'm thinking right now of expense reports when you have to fill out expense reports, yeah. expense reports like once a quarter or once a, a month, whatever it might be, however often you have to do it. And like the laborious nature of having to do that and you forget exactly what you did the last time and you know it's not part of your day-to-day activities and I'm sure there's a lot of people who can relate to doing that if I could refer back to something that did a step-by-step and help me to do that more efficiently without having to disturb one of my colleagues I think that would be really really important and I, I also presume Jennifer that it's really important part of the onboarding process when someone comes especially in this remote and hybrid working situation that when someone comes on board that it becomes um, you know kind of critical for them to be able to learn how to do stuff but without and I don't mean this in a bad way but without having to disturb their colleagues when they could have much better interactions more relational interactions rather than transactional interactions with their colleagues. Yeah, exactly. Especially with, you know, the great resignation. We talked to a lot of companies who are like, you know, I've had, I've had really big turnover and it's, and it's a double whammy, right? Which is some of my most experienced people left. Yes, and so yeah. I've lost some of that knowledge mm-hmm. and now I've got some new people coming in the door. And so now the, the people who have been here for a while are really pinched because A, they're trying to do all the work of everyone yeah. who left. And now you've got all these new people coming in and they're trying to do like this knowledge transfer to these new people as well. And you want to make sure that the new people have a really great experience coming in and they're not sitting there at their computers, you know, not sure what to do. There's there's nothing more disempowering than Mm. even that expense report example, such a good one. Like imagine you're new and you're like, you get the email on Friday, you got to file your expense reports and you're like, how do I do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to bother someone because, you know, I've got more important things to ask people. Yeah. So I'm just going to sit here for a while and click around and try to figure it out. <laughs> and, you know, that's okay, but that's not a great experience. And you add up no. those small things over time and it's it's pretty disempowering. And so I think when you're onboarding someone, there's... Um, I think about the the like the why, the what, the who, and the how. Mm. Like, what are the key things they have to know how to do? And... Hopefully they know the why by the time they come in the door. If you've run a good recruiting process, they understand like why what you're doing with this company is important. Like why yeah. does this mission why, matter? Why, why the company exists at, right. in the first right. place. Yes. And why why are you hiring me for this role? Yeah. Why am I agreeing to spend my precious time doing it? Right. I, I hopefully mm. have already bought into like why this is important. <laughs> And, you know, maybe even during the recruiting process a bit, you gave me a sense of who I'm going to be working with, who are those Mm. people I ask questions to, and what is it that I'm going to be doing, right? And there's usually some kind of formal program when I come in of like, you know, at the most extreme, I've talked to to some folks who were, you know, onboarded remotely, especially during the pandemic for companies that like sort of all of a sudden were thrust into this. And they're like, I had two weeks of pre-recorded videos and I just sat at my computer for eight hours a day and I yeah. watched pre-recorded videos and it was wow. the worst experience of my life. <laughs> um, so, you know, it varies on how companies approach that, but you've got some kind of, you know, training. I'm like, here's what you're going to be doing. Where I often see things fall short is that how, again, of all of that, like, Okay, great. You you understand what you're doing. You know you know your purpose. You know your tasks. Now you're like fingers on keyboard trying to work in our software, and it's different mm. than the one you worked at your previous company. Yeah. Things a different way here, and you got to figure out what to do. And again, usually your option is you just rely on that informal learning, and you really hope that you've got like a buddy who's yeah. sitting next to you or like is responsible. <laughs> and you've got a, you've got a friend in Google as well. 
<laughs> exactly. Right. And the, or you're like, you're Googling and you're really good at it. You yeah. got to hope it like translates to what you're exactly. doing. Exactly. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that's, that's not an empowering experience for someone no. coming in. No, definitely not. And like, I mean, we've, we've talked an awful lot about the software and and what it does. I'd love to to kind of take a more of a helicopter view of the issues that you see around productivity in general. Any anything that that's kind of screaming out to you at the moment that needs to be in, addressed in organisations, whether you know whether it's with the client organisations that you work with or more more broadly that that you're seeing out there. You know, I'll, I'll say something that will probably quite surprise you, given that I am the CEO of a productivity technology company, right? We make productivity software. Um, I think we have too many opportunities to collaborate together in software. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we are suffering from collaboration overload. Yeah. Uh, where And what I mean by that is you could spend most of your day, if you look at your calendar and how you spend your time, probably got big chunks of time that are spent on Zoom. I mean, if you're like most people, right? You're you're in like a lot of meetings now. And then you've got email that's coming at you. And then you've got pings on Slack or Teams mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you're using and people asking things. And so you could go full eight-hour workday. And at the end of the day, go, whew, I did so much work today. I'm so exhausted, right? And it's because <laughs> you were busy all day long. But all you did was communicate with your coworkers, right? Yeah. And, and like, and and maybe that's the entirety of your job. But but for most people, there's like another output component to it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And so uh, you could go the entire day having helped a whole bunch of people and done a bunch of work, or felt like you helped a bunch of people, and and certainly like you know put a lot of hours into it, but not actually have moved the ball forward on whatever it is that you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to do. And so if you go back to kind of like my, my sort of esoteric chart that I was talking about of like the fact that we've reduced friction on this communication, you know, so much is, is great in so many ways. We've bridged gaps. We made it so much easier for companies to hire people anywhere in the world and access great talent, all these wonderful things. People have more flexibility, but it also means it's just so much easier for someone to demand some of your time. Right. Yes. Where it's like, oh, hey, let's let's just hop on a Zoom together. All right. And go through it. And then you spend, we hear this from my my customers all the time. They're like, oh yeah, when I have a question on how to do something or whatever, like, you know, I'll just hop on a Zoom with my coworker and like we spend the first five, 10 minutes chatting. It's great to mm-hmm. see them. And then they'll share their screen and we like we go through what they're supposed to be doing. And it's great. And I feel good and I hang up. And then I get distracted. And then I go to do that thing they showed me how to do. And I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and then I need another Zoom bad. call. <laughs> and then I got to like, either I tell them I forgot or I like, I sit there and I try to figure it out. And, and now you've taken two people's time for, you know, like a, a pretty chunk, you know, a pretty real portion of their day um, in something that's really not scalable. Mm. So I, I always love to think I'm obsessed with efficiency and productivity. And I love to think about how can you take things and make them scalable? like yeah. media, like mm-hmm. software. These are things that are infinitely scalable. How can you take some of the best parts of people and what n- they know how to do and make that scalable? Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely love that. And I'm, I'm a huge, huge believer in, 
in all sorts of efficiency and, and productivity and all of those. Like even when I worked in corporate, I was so interested in like, is there a day of the week? Is there a time of the day that we do our best work? And like, you know, how do we be more efficient with our time? And you're so right. I think in we're living in such a connected world now and having so many meetings and so many touch points throughout the day makes us feel like we're really busy when in fact it hasn't done anything to move the dial on what it is that we're supposed to be doing toward, you know, towards our objectives, towards the company's objectives. Um, so I think it's it's really, really important. And what I see, like one of the big trends that I see out there with the shift, you know, the future of work, which is happening right before our eyes, there's a, this shift in mentality away from input in in terms of time and energy that we expend uh, at work and a shift more towards focusing on the outcomes that we achieve, which should have been the case all along. But if you think of people's mentality, it's often that, you know, I worked X number of hours. It's not I delivered X or I produced Y. It was more um, I worked this number of hours. And, you know, it's it, is it the Parkinson law where if you have two weeks to complete something, you're going to fill that entire two weeks. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if someone says, I want that in two days, then you probably produce the same result in in a couple of days within reason, you know, um, you're not being a perfectionist and trying to make everything all bells and whistles. Um, so I, I definitely see that that trend happening out there. When it comes to these things like getting um, getting sort of distracted and feeling like we're busy, but not actually kind of being productive, what what do you see as the solution to those kinds of things? Yeah. I, first of all, I think recognizing it, like you said, yeah. is, is so important. Like e- even that mindset shift and, you know, I, it, we're a Silicon Valley technology company and I, I, I have to fight it every day with my team. Yeah. Right? Where oftentimes people will say like, oh, I feel like we need to collaborate on this more. Let's bring in, you know, Meg and Tony and Charles. And, and I have to like, time out. <laughs> are there more than three people in a meeting? What are, what are we doing? Do we have, are we deciding something here? Like, what is the output? Like we're not bringing yeah. more people together in just for the sake of, you know, collaboration, which frankly is motherhood and apple pie. Like you only collaborate for means to an end. So what is that end we're trying to achieve? So, you know, every time you you do have a meeting, meetings are important. You, you, you know, I, I believe like you need to do them, but you need to be yeah. really judicious about when you yeah. have them. So when you have a meeting, be clear about like, who are the must have people only? Versus yes. folks who can just get like a, a short FYI afterwards. What's the agenda? And, and in particular, less, what are we going to discuss? And more, what is the outcome that we're going to drive towards? And if you yes. don't have a desired outcome at the end, yeah. we're going to make a decision. Uh, then you probably shouldn't be having a meeting. You probably have some more pre-work that everyone needs to be doing before, you know, before you bring everyone together. And then thinking about how, you know, you, you run your time and your, your calendar as well. Um, so trying to like create what are some of those blocks of time when you can be more in, in flow state and focus on what your priorities are. So I try to tell my team, like at the beginning of every week, in the beginning of every day, before you open any of your email or, uh, or Slack or anywhere where people can reach you, which by the way, your inbox is someone else's to-do item that they have. Yes. hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. So before you get to other people's to-do items, stop and think about like, do you do only three things today? Like what are the three most important things that you get done? Mm. And then think about how you're going to put that within your time and start with that first in your day, right? And those are the big rocks. And then you can figure out how you fill the little rocks in between. Um, 
I worked with a, a time management coach 20 years ago now. Um, but I imagine her, her advice is probably still relevant now where she was like, think about the big rocks in your day. And then when you've got all the small things like responding to emails and notifications and whatnot, you know, chunk it. So only do, you know, I've got a 20 minute session here and like, that's when I'm going to deal with all of these things. And otherwise I'm turning notifications off and Mm. people know if they need to reach me really urgently, I've got my phone on and they can give me a phone call Yeah, because we treat a lot of this asynchronous communication Synchronous. Yes. I, yeah. I yeah. Hundred percent. Responding right now. Yeah. And the context switching cost of that, the cognitive load is really yeah. high. I think this is another one of those problems that you don't really realize until you stop and think about it. Like, yeah, you're working on something. Maybe you're starting to get in the flow. You're you're chewing on some really meaty problem, and then ding. <laughs> hey, can you? Can and I, it's I so tempting for you. Got that dopamine. Yeah, and then you, you want the dopamine hit because you, yeah. you, as soon as you see the notification, you start thinking about the response. You've already lost, yeah. right? Because mm. you either, you answer it right in that moment because you've already changed the gear and you're starting to go. And that's what I try to do. Like if I've seen it, I already lost. I might as well just like bat it away and be done with it. Yeah. Um, and if the worst is if you don't, because then you've seen it, you've thought about the answer, you lost the distraction and then you still have to come back to it later. Yeah, it's so weighing on like your mind. It twice. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the um, challenges I see out there all the time is this idea. So it's kind of building on the point that you have. And I love all of these points about, you know, who are the must have people at a meeting? Because I think the temptation often is just to invite everyone or CC people and the worry that people might feel excluded, but deciding who needs to be there and what type of meeting it is. Is it, is it a decision? And I love this, you know, what is the outcome? And if you haven't decided what the outcome is, you need to do some more work around that. Um, and then the, this time blocking. But I, I think what, what one of the things I see is that the it's easy and it's comfortable and it's reactive to open up your emails and respond to something else that's on someone else's to-do list because it's it's easy and it's familiar rather than sitting and thinking. And I think maybe this is something that, that people are a little bit afraid of, that if they spend a bit of time actually using their brain and, and thinking for a while, it takes, it takes up so much energy. It takes up, like, like you said, if you have a big meaty problem that you're getting your teeth into and then you get distracted by it, it's kind of an easy out to get away from that difficult problem that you're, you're trying to solve, you know? Um, and it's so comfortable. Like, do you see that, that people are falling into these habits of, oh yes, I'm just going to blindly attend this meeting that I probably don't need to be in because that's comfortable and I've been invited to it and I don't really want to say no, or it's easy for me to keep my emails open or to check my emails throughout the day because, you know, then I'm, I feel like I'm being productive. I feel like I'm doing a lot of work, even if I'm not necessarily reaching my objectives for the day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I find myself doing this a lot too, which is like, yeah. okay, I've got, I've got 20 minutes right now and I could, you know, work on something really hard or I could just go bat away some emails. Yes. And it's so much easier to be like, no, it is, isn't it? Email. Yeah. And I think it's because we, for some reason, want to feel really busy. I think we're oh, like addicted we to yeah. feeling busy. And when we're busy, we're important, Jennifer. Didn't you know? Right. <laughs> yes. I had to join this meeting. You know, they really care about my opinion. And and like and and you know, I'm sure they do, but but oftentimes people are pulling people into meetings too because 
they they don't know who's accountable and like you want to spread it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of the natural feeling when you're sort of like, oh, I'm not quite sure we should bring this person in for their opinion, this person in for that opinion. And I, I try very hard in my company to say one person's accountable for one specific thing. This is your metric. You're the one who owns it. If you want to bring in other people in, you can, that's great. But like, yeah. it, it's you at the end. Of it the rests day. on you. It's your decision. And I think that's like a lot of leaders need to be empowered to make those decisions. And they need not only to be empowered, but but reiterated that, look, like you're, you, you can get people you can get information from other people, but they're not going to make the decision for you. That's why we pay you good money because you are here to make those decisions, to make those calls. And if it was the wrong decision, you need to accept responsibility for that as well. You know, and so you know celebrate what? the wins, the- but also take responsibility for the losses. And I don't even worry that much about wrong decisions. I worry about no decisions. So yes. Okay, yeah. fine. You made the wrong decision. No big deal. You know, there you're going to make some wrong decisions. Welcome to being human. At least we made a decision and we tried something and we learned from it and we can move on versus, you know, death by committee. Um, yeah, this is it. And I think a lot of companies suffer with that is the committee decision making where, you know, it's by, I was going to say by public vote, but you're kind of almost doing a show of hands around the room and it's a democracy, but that's not what businesses are all about. It's it's about giving people responsibility for very specific areas, very specific functions and, and responsibility for making decisions in those areas. Right, right. I want to come back quickly to like, you've got the 20 minutes and it's easier to go and, you know, like just send an email or something. Yeah. What, what I try to do to counter that is, uh, on the days that I'm being good, and I wish I could say this every day, I don't do this every day, but on, on the, I try to do it most days. You know, wh- when I wake up, I will think about what is it that I want to achieve today? What are my big rock priorities? And I'll like mm. put a post-it note on my computer. So it's the yeah, thing that I- Yeah, I love a good post-it note, Jennifer. <laughs> so now they're great, right? Yeah. <laughs> Technology at its finest. Um, and so when you've got that 20 minutes now, your brain almost panics because it's like, oh my God, I'm not going to be busy for 20 minutes. What am I supposed to be doing? Am I even mm. important? You know, all these things. But then if you can just quickly look at your post-it and be like, oh, okay, wait, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay, all right, I'm going to focus on this for 20 minutes. You now have like given yourself something to anchor on, which is again, more of your agenda than the communications. And, you know, hopefully over time, you get yourself more comfortable with more and more kind of free time. I just saw a really great quote from a, a founder. Um, I read a lot of, you know, from, from folks who have... Um, founded and scaled companies, just because I, I think it's really fascinating and obviously relevant to, to what I'm doing here. Um, and he said, like, look, when I first started my company, I'd stare at my calendar and it was completely blank because we had no product and no customers. Yeah. And that terrified me. And I was like, gosh, I can't wait until this is full of all really important things, you know? And then he's like, and then my company scaled and my, my calendar got really, really busy. And I realized I, I needed to go back to that state before because mm. the reason I was able to build a great product that attracted great customers was because I had all of this uninterrupted time yes. and I could really think about what was important and think from first principles. Um, and so I, I think we talk about it a lot. I, you know, I, I hear like a lot of podcasts and things where people are like, create chunks of time on your calendar, free mm. space. But, you know, I don't know how many calendars you look at from like, all the calendars I've ever seen of people, it's like double booked blocks everywhere. Yeah. You know, it looks yeah. like Tetris. <laughs> There's, yeah. There aren't any like beautiful wide open chunks of time. I, I, to be honest, I try to do that. I try to have meetings only on a Tuesday and a Thursday and leave 
Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays for stuff. It doesn't always happen, but typically a Monday is fairly free for me for planning the week, for uh, for doing that kind of the deep work, the planning, the strategizing. And then Friday, sometimes I have meetings. Thursday is like my podcasting day. Uh, so we're recording this on a Thursday. And then Wednesday, again, the deep work and the, you know, I try not to have calls. But it's also thinking about like, even if you're having one-on-one calls, what is, going back to what we were saying kind of at the start, what is the reason behind having this this one-to-one call? Like, is this, am I answering someone's question that they have about how to do something? Or is it relationship building, you know, going back to, to the purpose of this? And I suppose I would really encourage people to look how you're spending your time. And I do talk, um, or I have spoken on another podcast episode about this idea of, um, you know, measuring how you're spending your time. And, and that's not to share with your organisation to say, you know, this is, you know, from a, because oftentimes I think from an organizational perspective, and I've seen this, like when they, they look to measure how people's time is being spent, it's kind of like to, to admonish them in some way to kind of punish them maybe. Um, but it, this is really for your own understanding to see like, okay, how many, uh, how much time am I spending on emails? How much time am I spending working on this deck? How much time am I spending in meetings? How much time am I spending chatting? Am I getting distracted? I was going to say, how much time am I spending on social media? But like, are you getting distracted by social media? And be honest about it as well, because it happens happens to everyone. I think you get, you know, you might get a notification or something like that. Um, I've actually... I don't have my work emails on my phone. So that's one thing. And I've turned off the notifications on my laptop, so I won't get a notification. I won't say that, you know, that doesn't stop me going in and refreshing and checking. Have I got any new emails? Um, You know, the dopamine hit. I'm not immune. I'm human too. Um, But like certainly social media notifications and things like that, when they pop up, you know, they, they are quite, quite, um, quite distracting. And I, I've gone through spells of time. There's some Sorry? really, they're designed to be that oh, way. Yeah. There's some really smart product managers on the other side who are like, absolutely. how do I get people to come back more often? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you had to go into a website and we're talking back in, back in the olden days, back like 15 years ago, when Facebook first uh, came about and you had to go to a website and you had to log in with your details, you know, you're probably checking it once a day, but now, oh God, I dread to think how often I would check on the various different social media channels, but I have gone through spells where I've taken them off my phone. I've gone through spells where I've turned off notifications. Actually, I don't have any Facebook notifications on my phone at the moment. And so I don't see if I have a a new notification, I have to physically go into the app to see if there is a a new notification. Um, And my phone is quite often on do not disturb as well. So I don't. But having said all of these and having put all of this into place, it doesn't stop the temptation to want to check your phone to see if you've had any notifications, even if I'm not getting that kind of audio and visual cue that there is something new coming through. Yeah, it's um, I I try to your body will always default to like the lowest friction way. And social media has tried to design itself. So it's very low friction. You literally click the button, you know, on on your phone and boom, it comes up with all these shiny images and things that are designed to, you know, attract your attention. Um, And so I tried to think about like, what are, what are ways you can add friction? You're trying to make the things you want yourself to Mm. do as easy as possible. And the things you, you don't want yourself to do as hard as possible. So, you know, even like simple things, like you're hiding the app, 
uh, if you, even if you have it on your phone, it's like all the way on your last page, you got to scroll and it's like nested under another folder. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. I've got like a, a screen time limit, right? So I get 15 minutes a day. Usually I spend it on LinkedIn and, uh, and then that's it. And after that, I've got to like do some complicated stuff to make it come back, you know, for, for longer periods of time. So even just finding like ways to slightly nudge yourself where you say like what it's, it's like the same concept as healthy eating, right? Yeah. Like the bag of potato chips is super easy. It's easier than like, cooking a meal and tasty grocery shop for and all these things. But like, what if you, what if it was flipped? What if you had to make your own potato chips or you had like a pre-made healthy salad to go, which do you Mm. think you'd eat more often? Yeah. 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 Humans default to like to low friction stuff. Cause we've got so much we're trying to balance in our days. Our brains are so overloaded by everything. Yeah. In decision society. fatigue. So if you don't have exactly. to make a decision, yeah. Yeah. Then it, it becomes a lot easier. Jennifer, coming back to this idea of the, the collaboration overload, any additional thoughts on, on what we can do? Like, is it a case of saying no to meetings? Is it a case of blocking out time in your diary to get that deep work done? Um, you know, what, any other thoughts around that, that whole concept of the, um, of too much collaboration, essentially? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's both what you can do as an individual. And then if you're a manager, you're thinking about this for a team or a company, like what are the norms and things that you want to role models? We talked about some of the things you can do as an individual, like pushing back on what are the meetings I actually have to be part of. And if you feel like you don't have enough air cover for that, having a conversation with your manager where you, you pull up your calendar and you say, Let's look at my calendar. Look how many meetings I'm in. Fifteen meetings. A week, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Which sounds and, and like, sounds pretty normal. And and like they're an they're an hour each. Yeah. And that means I've got X number of hours left to actually do all these things that you and I have agreed on. Yeah. And presumably there's actions from the meetings and there's pre work for the meetings as well. Let's not forget that. So you know, add on a few extra hours for all of that stuff. Yeah. Can you please help me go through and prioritize? Do I actually need to be in all of these and yeah. provide or cover for me? You know, if we decide that I don't need to be in any. And and like as a manager, again, I said I, I try to run around. Literally, if I see a room full of more than three people in my yeah. company, I will walk in <laughs> and I will be like, hey guys. What's this meeting? What are we talking yeah. about? Yeah, what, are yeah. we, what are we trying to decide here? I love that as a rule because three, it's, it seems like, why would you need more than three people in a meeting? Just when I, you know, and I, again, I'd love from listeners to be challenged on that. Like, are you having these massive big, big, big meetings aside from, you know, the kind of the obvious thing that springs to my mind is a town hall, which is, you know, that's kind of a, not really a meeting. It's more of a, an announcement. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I can think of some exception. We, we, we do our town halls or like, we had a, a big kind of brainstorm session on something. Yeah. And we said, well, hey, that'd be really fun to have like a few different people from different perspectives around a whiteboard. It, you know, and the output of this is like clear, it's a brainstorming on, on these sets of topics. But yeah. the ones that I think are the are the worst are the standing weekly meetings. So oh, yeah, or, yeah. or bi-weekly or whatever. So, yeah. you know, anytime- Why are we having this weekly team meeting? What is the update? What is the purpose of this? <laughs> they say like, oh, I'm- I'm collaborative, you know? Oh, we should really like- I'm so busy and important as well. (laughs) Right, right. And and, like, it feels good and it's what we think is work, but, you know, retraining yourself to question it if you're the attendee. And then again, if you're a manager or the person kind of setting the culture for your team, yeah, what what actually needs to be happening here? And and you can role model the same thing on email and, and Slack and others where, you know, you can say like, okay, guys, I'm checking it five times a day. Right. And, uh, and if you need to reach me outside of those times, like 
call my cell phone or, or yeah. whatever it is, like yeah, for, yeah. For urgent things. And, and that is what it is. And you now set like a new tone where people don't feel like they have to be constantly responding because that's how they look like they're on top of their jobs, right? Is because yeah. you've changed the cultural norm now. I read something earlier today actually about that. I think it was, you know, one of these um, clickbait type of headlines where they talked about Elon Musk saying that he he believes you know, that no work gets done remotely. And he's probably right. I think it was the headline. So you're like, oh, that's that's quite an interesting thing. I'm going to click into that. But what they talked about was this pressure on people to always be on and appear online. Whereas when you're in the office, you might dip, you might nip out for a cup of coffee. You might stop by someone's desk for a chat or you might just be away from your desk for a few minutes. And that's OK. Whereas the pressure at home, kind of going back to the point about like, being always on and responding on Slack immediately, responding to emails immediately to show it's like a new form of it's like digital presenteeism rather than regular office presenteeism where you're just being seen in the office and therefore you're busy because you're there until 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. Whereas this is it's it's always being on because you're at home and you're at home anyway, especially during the pandemic, I think was a, a huge issue. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've got people who like, you know, go for a walk with their dog in the middle of the day and they bring their phone and they're like responding to Slack <laughs> just so like no one thinks that they're shirking. Right. Yeah. And that becomes particularly nefarious if you say, I want to take, like you said, you know, I'm, I take my blocks of time when I'm doing work. Right. Yeah. And so what our team will do, you can put like little emojis next to your Slack status, like a simple thing. Right. But like people will do like headphones when they're working to indicate. Right. Brilliant. Yeah. I love head that. down working. When we, when we worked in person together, we, we had developed like post-it note colors, which basically like, if you put like red up, it meant like I'm heads down working right now. Please don't yeah. come by my desk. Yeah. And disrupt yeah, yeah. Me. Right. And green meant like, oh, I'm doing some lighter tasks. Like you're welcome to come by and interrupt yeah. me. Yeah, um, yeah. And engineers are like particularly notorious for doing this because they really, yeah. you have to be quite in flow head <laughs> down when you're creating. Yeah, absolutely. I have seen now, speaking of technology, I have seen that that technology exists where you can put it at your desk and you can kind of have a, have a traffic light system to indicate yeah. to other people whether or not you're open to being disturbed. Right. But we don't, we don't usually do that in a digital world. You just assume everyone's open to being disturbed at yeah. any given moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so coming, I suppose coming back to productivity in, in, in general, is there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap things up on the podcast today? I think, um, you know, people, there's a, like we talk a lot about productivity. I think people mm. care a lot about it. It scratches the sort of like, again, human itch of like, how do I feel really busy, but like I'm doing really important stuff and, yeah. and that's good and great. But I would start with like the first question of why are you trying to be more productive? What are you trying to be more productive for? Yeah. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And then measure your productivity based on whether you're able to achieve those things. Not like I'm so productive. I collaborated with 15 people today, right? I'm so productive because, uh, you know, I put together like this great presentation that my client loved. No, I love that. I think that's a really great approach because I think... Um, what I'm seeing is a lot of people struggle how to define what productivity actually means in their organization. And for me, it comes back to as an organization, why do you exist? What are you here to do? And then as a manager, understanding the contribution that your team makes and being able to translate for each individual within the team, what their contribution means in the context of the organization and, and the impact that they can have on the organization and, and why their role is important. And I, and I think a lot of companies really struggle 
to do that. Um, and so you don't really understand what being productive means. You, you, you're being productive because you're busy. You're being productive because you're doing what you're being told rather than thinking and questioning what needs to be done, why it needs to be done and how it's going to move the dial on the objectives, on on what the business is trying to achieve. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I'm, I'm a technologist, so I get obsessed in thinking about scale, right? So I'm yeah. always trying to think about like, what are the scale points on your time too? Like, where are the places where you can get the most leverage and think about like, what are the things that uniquely require you at any given moment? And what are the things where you can either replace yourself or scale yourself, right? And obviously we think about that a lot with Scribe, like how do you scale what you know how to do? So you're not spending time explaining it to everyone one-on-one, right? But now it's a one-to-many. And by the way, it's just automatically happening as you're working. Um, but like, where are those opportunities to to make things almost automatic or scalable and not a one-to-one? So if you're, if you're putting something that's like really thoughtful and detailed in like a Slack message that's going to one person or like in a <laughs> one-to-one meeting, but you think it'd be helpful to other people, you should probably pick, be picking a different medium that's more scalable. Yes. Yeah, 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 absolutely. A hundred percent. Jennifer, the question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what does being happier at work mean to you? You know, I had a a professor in business school who said, find the thing that you are constantly apologizing for about yourself and find a way to get paid for it. (laughs) Oh, I love that. So uh, for me, that's I'm obsessed with efficiency. I mean, if you yeah. were to if you were to ask, I'm sorry husband, for being so efficient, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it can be annoying to people. So my husband would say to you, like, we go to run errands, and I'm like plotting out our route to make sure yeah. we're not double backing, and you know, I'm like trying to do ten things at <laughs> it once. Sounds, and- it sounds like you're exactly like me, and you're thinking, oh, what's the best, and where should I go first because that makes more sense, and then I'm not going to hit right. traffic there, and you know, you're trying to work out all of these things in advance so that you can be more efficient and you don't waste time, and yeah. <laughs> right, right. And, um, you know, with what I'm doing now, I feel like I, I have found a way to take that like neurosis and make it, you know, make it my job and make it mm. about like, how do I help other people solve the problems that yeah. I care a lot about? And so to me, happier at work, I've had many times in my life when I, I was not happy at work. I don't think mm. I knew it at the time. It wasn't until I truly was happy at work that I was able to look back and say, oh, that, okay. that was not happiness at work. And, and to me, it's working on something that I think is really important and where I feel like it is a, like a, a good kind of fit for what I can uniquely do, yeah. um, but where it's always pushing me to do more. So I'm, I'm uncomfortable every day. And that's yeah. I think, the, the best place to be, but I'm very fortunate to work with a group of humans who I feel like have got my back and really support me. So mm. if that's maybe a very long way of saying like, to me, happy at work means finding your craft, the thing you really care about doing and mm. maybe are already good at and want to get excellent at and being able to do that with a group of humans who you just kind of like working with and who push you to be better. Yeah, love that. Love that approach. If people want to find out more about you, if they want to connect, if they want to know more about Scribe, what's the best way that they can do that? Folks can find me personally on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Jennifer Smith. Um, Folks are welcome to try out Scribe or website scribehow.com. We have a a free product you can create and share and invite teammates unlimited all for free. Um, 
We test this. Scribe's used in over 100 countries. We've got users who don't speak English. They're able to create a Scribe and share it with others in less than four minutes. So it's just really gosh darn easy. Um, so if you are curious and have four minutes, uh, you can check it out on our website, scribehow.com. Brilliant. Love that. Thank you so much for your time today, Jennifer. Absolute pleasure to chat with you and really, really appreciate all of the insights that you've shared with listeners today. Thank you. Yeah, this was a ton of fun. Thanks for having me. I really hope you enjoyed that episode as much as Jennifer and I had uh, enjoyed having that conversation. It was so interesting. I always love talking about things like busyness and productivity and what it really means. Do get involved in the conversation on social media. You'll find all of my social channels through the website happieratwork.ie. I'm mostly active on Instagram, happieratwork.ie, which is kind of a behind the scenes and also on LinkedIn, where I am probably most active and you can connect with me there through Aoife O'Brien. That's A-O-I-F-E-O apostrophe B-R-I-E-N. And I would love to connect with you there. Now, some of the key points I just want to cover and I want to also challenge one of the exercises we talked at the very start of the podcast episode was uh, thinking or, or actually measuring how many times you get interrupted in a day about trying to get help or explain how to do something. And that's an exercise. That's some homework for you to do if you want to measure how many times you actually get interrupted when someone needs to get clarification on exactly what it is that they need to do and that it requires you to explain to them what they need to do in a in a process sort of way. I'm conscious that we spent a lot of time at the start talking about um, the Scribe software, but I was just so interested in its capabilities and what it what it's able to do, which I think is is brilliant. You know, it's kind of a, a game changer, I think, for organisations. Again, not sponsored by Scribe, <laughs> but I, I love this idea of of, uh, you know, how, well, one of the questions I posed, I suppose, was how do you know who is the best? And so who becomes one of the most important questions? And usually that is crowdsourced. So it's, it goes back to who would you ask this question to in an organisation? So sometimes people are self elected, if you like, and some people it's crowdsourced where you kind of go to the person that you would ask. It becomes a really great opportunity when it comes to onboarding then, especially in this remote and hybrid uh, type of working environment. Now, one of the challenges Jennifer sees as that there is too many opportunities to collaborate and there's some sort of a collaboration overload for people at work because, uh, you know, it's through email, through Zoom, through Slack, and people are so, so busy and they're so exhausted from doing all of this all the time. Um, and it, it's become a lot more easy for people to to demand your time. And I've seen a few posts recently on LinkedIn where it's about like, can people just book a meeting in your calendar? And sometimes that is the case. So if they see that you have some time available, if you haven't blocked out your time to do specific type of work, for example, that they can just block in time. And it's not even a question that they will ask your permission to be able to book in time, but they actually just do it. So it's it's quite interesting. Um, so one of the things that Jennifer said was that there needs to be a mindset shift around that. So rather than we need to collaborate more, it's actually thinking about how do we get more focused work done and the challenge then around having more more than three people in a meeting, like what is the purpose of having more than three people in a meeting? And it's something I suppose I personally had never really thought about. 
you know, there are some exceptions, obviously, but these regular team meetings that are in the diary just for the sake of being in the diary, just for the sake, what are you actually achieving in those? Are they taking up too much of your time that you can't get your day to day work done? And really thinking about those kinds of things. Who are the must have people that need to be in the room? What is the desired outcome of that meeting? And if it's not clear what the desired outcome, then the person who's organising the meeting needs to do some additional pre-work before booking that meeting in. Um, and she also spoke about how to run your calendar. So blocking time for flow, essentially. So we talked about this idea of the big rocks. So that goes back to this idea of the rocks, the pebbles and the sand. So if you put sand in a jar first, then you put in some pebbles and the, there's no room anymore in the jar for the large rocks. But if you put in the large rocks first, then you can put in some pebbles, which are a little bit smaller, and then you can fill the rest of the space with the sand. Um, and then I've also seen it done with water. Can we fit, fit anything else in the jar? No. And then you add some water into the jar and you can fit some water in. So just to kind of bring it back. So identify what those big rocks are. So what are the big, important tasks? And, and they're not necessarily the urgent tasks. What are the important tasks that need to be done in that week? And how do you allocate time to get those done, to make sure that you get those done and that your time is not manipulated by someone else? We talked about this idea of being busy and I did watch a, a recent TEDx talk, which I will share the link to in the show notes, which is really interesting. This concept of, yeah, being addicted to being busy. Um, so it could be that we don't know who's accountable. So we give people what we do. What we need to do is actually give people responsibility to make decisions and you know, what, what Jennifer said was she worries more about having no decision rather than bad decisions. So when people don't know that they are responsible, they are unwilling to accept that responsibility or that accountability to make that decision, that puts pressure on other people then as well. And uh, we talked about this idea that our brain panics when we are not busy and we kind of go into, <laughs> we go into a mode where we, we get very reactive and it becomes easy then to do the, the menial tasks that don't necessarily need to be done. And to combat this, then Jennifer talked about using a post-it note. And if your post-it note has, say, three items on it, and this is a technique that I have used uh, in the past as well to really great success, actually. So you put three things on that you want to achieve in a given day. And then if those three things are achieved in the day, you can add three more tasks to a separate post-it note then, you know, and you, you kind of add to it that way. But it helps your brain to focus on these are the three tasks that I really need to achieve today. And and three doesn't sound like a lot, but when you get those, if they're big, chunky tasks and you get them done, it gives you a great sense of satisfaction that you've achieved them. It keeps your brain focused in that, that kind of downtime that you have between meetings that the I would need to make sure that I need to get this done today. And uh, we also talked about this idea of adding friction to the things that you don't want to do. So make it harder to do those things that you actually don't want to do or that you don't need to do. And that managers need to role model the norms that they expect in an organisation. I love this question then as well, posed by Jennifer. The first question to ask, if you're looking to drive productivity, if you're looking to be more productive in your organisation, why are you trying to be more productive? And measure your productivity on those reasons. So what are the reasons that you're trying to be more productive and how therefore are you going to measure whether or not you are successfully being more productive in your organisation? That wraps up today's episode and I would love for you to get involved in the conversation. You will find 
everything over on the Happier at Work website, happieratwork.ie. Uh, all of the social channels are linked there as well. And I would love for you to share your thoughts. Is there anything that you've done differently as a result of listening to today's episode? Is there any tips that you would add as well? So I would absolutely love to hear from you. That was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie. 